All right. Hello, everyone. My name is David Staub. I'm here with the Magical Stories of Healing and Spiritual Gifts podcast here with my lovely wife, Miss Megan. Hey, everyone. Uh, we are so pumped to talk to you all today. This is actually a pretty surreal interview. Uh, we have uh, Deontay Diggs, the dancing deputy. Uh, he has two viral videos that have reached over 90 million people and wow. counting. He's been all over TV, America's Got Talent, TD Jakes, Time Magazine, Business Insider, BuzzFeed. He does motivational speaking. He's an author. I mean, the list goes on. Um, ironically, I actually know him from college. <laughs> we went to VMI together. Yeah. Uh, then it, you know, I'm so excited to dive into your story because you have such a story of like, triumph over tribulation man and you know not to jump way ahead because i'm gonna ask more of these questions later but when people reach a certain thing of fame it can go to their head and, and, and they can go a couple different directions you freaking took it and you've used it for so much good you've used it for so much impact and like truly become such an inspiration to so many people so um i, I appreciate you making the time to chat with us man i appreciate you reaching out and giving me the opportunity so i'm so excited <laughs> i'm so stoked to to be talking with you and uh, excited to get to share my story, man. Yeah, yeah. And I was just telling him before we started recording, he looks exactly the same as he did at VMI. <laughs> we both went to Virginia Military Institute, like, uh, what is it, 10 years ago now or something yeah. like that? Uh, look, wow. You have not freaking changed, man. That is awesome. I've been thinking um, on a couple of people that, uh, a couple of our BRs and stuff who have gray hair now. I was like, I don't have any yet, so I'm still doing good. <laughs> doing something right. Right, me neither. Yeah, we, we got that together. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, we'll, we'll jump right off. So all the while doing this, he's also a second lieutenant at the sheriff's office while doing all of this. Like, you, you're still doing that, right? I am. I am. Uh, I'm currently the assistant division commander for special operations. So quite busy at work as well it's it's crazy you're in two completely different worlds yeah, yeah. <laughs> somehow i i managed to straddle both worlds and and uh it's it's been interesting to say the yeah. least awesome awesome Definitely. well uh we'll get going man if, if you don't mind uh talk to us about your childhood you know how did you how'd you grow up yeah, so um, growing up, it was a single parent home. It was my mother, myself, and as time went on, um, she had uh, two more uh, children. So I'm the uh, oldest of three boys. And um, I grew up in an environment that was um, chaotic, uh, full of um, trauma. Uh, my mother was addicted to drugs and alcohol. And so growing up, there was very few times that I could remember that she wasn't drunk or on some type of drug. And so she was very um, proud of that, but she also worked to take care of us. And so growing up was really tough. Um, being the oldest uh, out of three males, I felt like I took the uh, father role of the man of the house, um, even though there were men that would come in and out of the home. And so it was very, when I think back on my childhood, um, just a very traumatic experience. Um, I went through uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Um, there was starvation, um, moving from uh, place to place at times. Um, I was taught at a very young age that what happens in this house stays in this house. And so you're taught how to uh, to lie, 
basically how to hide your feelings and to portray that everything is okay. And so that was really my childhood. I went to school as a young man to uh, to be safe and for food. I didn't go to school to, to learn. Um, so I was behind in my education. I got picked on a lot in school as well. So um, thinking about my childhood and, and all of the things, I, I always say there's not much that I don't have in common with people in general having had so many negative experiences. Wow. Wow. And that can have such an impact. I mean, um, that was a big thing for Megan too. Oh, Her childhood yeah. was just full, full oh, of yeah. and I, but the, the thing that I had to overcome was stepping outside of the victim mindset because for many years, dude, I lived, I, that, that was my home. You know, because I went through such horrific things like that. Very, very similar. And I'm curious, did you struggle with that too? I did. um, You know, it it was interesting because as a young man going through that, it was just life. So I didn't know anything other than trying to survive to get to the next day. Mm. So the victim mindset piece will come in a little bit later when I get to BMI. Um, But as a child going through it, it was just like, I've got to figure out how to just- Survival mode. Make it to tomorrow and make sure my brothers are okay. And so um, it was interesting because it wasn't until maybe I was in my early teens um, that I realized that not everyone lives like this because when I looked around in the environments that I was in, you know, a lot of people were struggling. Um, so you look around and you see that and you're like, okay, this is kind of like the norm, even though it's not. Wow. Right. So, yeah. Um, did, go ahead. Did, did you have any kind of, during this time, did you have, was there any kind of religion involved, spirituality? Was that a part of your life at all when you were young? Definitely. So um, when I was a young man, church was... Uh, the uh, daily thing for us. Um, so my my grandfather was um, a pastor at the time. My grandmother played the piano in the church. And um, so when the doors of the church were open, we were there. Um, and even if we couldn't go to church with my biological family, I would always try to find a church to go to. So I don't know that I was in church for the right reasons, because again, it was survival for me. Um, but some of those messages that were preached, some of the sermons um, still had an impact on me. And so it didn't really matter, the religion. Um, so if I would go to Methodist, I would go to Baptist, I would go to Pentecostal, um, because, you know, hey, I get an opportunity to eat. Um, Wow. I get an opportunity to be in a, in a safe environment. I get an opportunity to be out of, you know, the inclement weather. Um, so I wouldn't say that it was necessarily the right reasons all the time to be in church, but being there, some of it still kind of um, played a, a pack or had an impact on um, my perspective on life. Wow. That's, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that- yeah. I mean, I remember like I used to hide underneath my bed 
and just read my precious moments Bible, you know, as a little child, because it was like you, survival mode. But you know, even though I don't consider myself religious, I consider myself very, very spiritual though. Um, I'm so grateful for that because it absolutely, I know played, just like you played a factor, you know, it, it still affected me in a positive way. I mean, there's just no telling how I would have ended up without it, honestly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it definitely, it grounded me and gave me the ability to um, push through and try to also make it to, you know, that next day. Right. So I have to say, I hope that I get to meet you in person <laughs> uh, because I love how much we have in common. So Yeah, yeah, likewise. That's great. Yeah, some of you are yourself like, man, y'all too. It's crazy how, and man, there's no coincidence. Like everything happens for a reason. I would... I believe uh, that 100%. You, you guys, we, we got to have a get together, 100%. Yeah, yeah, time we're, you're still in Virginia, right? I'm still in Virginia, but I'm okay. willing to come to Texas because I have not been to Texas yet. So. Man. Oh, Austin's awesome. You'll love Austin. Yeah. Austin is where it's at. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this one knows all the ropes. When I first visited Austin, she showed me all around, and I was yeah. literally making plans well, to Well, I was like, too. I have to, like, close this. I don't want to move to D.C., so I'm like, <laughs> I was strategic, you know? Yeah, yeah. Both works awesome. she, She's the only person I've met that's been a better salesperson than me, so she sold me on it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we look forward to your visit out here, man. You got a place to stay. Definitely. Thank you. Uh, as long as you don't mind animals. We got a little mini farm <laughs> of animals, so. Oh, actually, I'll, what, what, what do you have? Oh, what do we not have? Uh, dogs, cats, a mini pig, you know. Well, the mini pig, pig You have a mini pig? She doesn't live here, though. She did, and she stays on a little farm right outside of where we where we live. We visit well, her on the weekend. Because she's she's not so mini, no. but we got Sam, yeah. but she's amazing. She, that's awesome. We were like, they told us she was going to be 18 pounds full grown, and like six months later, we were like, She's, ah, she's got a hundred pounds. Ah, I don't think this is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. And they don't stop growing until they're like five years old. So we were like, oh. Yeah. Oh. Jeez. Man, you, you uh, to, to, to bring it back for a second, you face yeah. some crazy stuff, man. No, and as a child, it's hard to even, like, just from what I know I heard, now what I'm hearing about you, like, it's hard to fathom what your mind was going through during that. Um, do you, and we're, one big thing where I was like suppressed trauma, how much it can affect yeah. people. Did you, oh. you feel you suppressed a lot of that or did you feel disassociate. a lot of that then or did you disassociate? How did that work? Yeah, with I did. So I, I think the most impactful part of the trauma that I dealt with was the molestation. Mm -hmm. And so um, the, the first time that it occurred, I um, pinky swore that I wouldn't tell about it. But something at that age of about six um, told me that this is not right. Something it was like something I, I need to say something. So as soon as my mother came home, um, I, I told her what had happened. And she uh, and in this environment, in this time, everybody is family, even if they're not. So everybody's a cousin, an auntie, an uncle. Um, and so um, I, I told her, you know, that my cousin um, basically made me perform oral sex on him. And um, so she's looking at her and trying to figure out uh, how she's gonna respond to what I'm saying. For the first time in my life at that point, she had no emotional response. It was like, there was no anger, which my mom was known for her for her anger and 
there was just no response and then she's gone and she leaves the house and I'm just standing there and I get up on the couch and um, eventually she comes back and now the mother that I knew was there, the enraged, um, full of anger and she has my cousin's mother with her and so I uh, she's like you need to tell her what happened tell her what happened and I tell her and then they both go out and they start screaming for my cousin and um, they bring him in and um, as his mother's questioning him about what took place I didn't really have to say anything. I think she could tell by his body language that he was lying or he wasn't trying to be forthcoming. And so she um, she struck him in his chest and knocked the wind out of him and she starts beating him right there in front of me. And so at that point, I knew, I didn't really know how serious it was, but I knew that it was bad. And they then drag him out of the house into the front yard and both my mother and his mother uh, beat him out in the front yard. Mm. And so um, sitting on the couch, looking out the window and observing this, uh, I felt bad for him because I was like, I can't imagine what he's going through right now. So it wasn't even what had happened to me at this point. It's like, why are they doing this to him? And so after it's all said and done with, um, there's never really a conversation about it. There's no discussion. We just kind of move on with life as if nothing has happened. And eventually we, we lose that, that apartment and we move in months later with this family. And as we're moving in with this family, I, think to myself I'm concerned it's interesting because I'm looking around and it's like everybody has forgotten about what had happened but I'm worried about how he's going to respond to me because I had promised that I wasn't going to say anything but now I did say something and then he had this he had a horrific experience as a result of it so how um, old was he he was uh, 13 or 14 at the time wow so he was much older than I was. And so then when we get there to the house and I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, why are we doing this? I don't want to be here. Um, but I see him and he seems to have forgotten about everything. Um, and in the back of my head, I'm like, something's just not right about this. So we, we end up living with them. And so that first night there, um, I kept a close eye on my brothers, um, my middle brother to be specific, and I tried to stay up under my mother or close to her for protection. But my mother would say things like, you know, go play with the kids, get out of the grown folks business, stop, you know, being up under us. And so as the night got tonight, we got back to, or we were told to go inside because it was dark, Um, the adults were in the kitchen. And um, I remember going into the kitchen where they were and seeing white powder on my mother's face and thinking like, why are they sniffing baby powder and looking at them and they're screaming like, get out of here, you know, go play with the kids. Um, 
it was just such a surreal experience because knowing now or as I got older what it actually was what actually was happening um, but that was the night that changed my life and my trajectory because we start playing hide and go seek in the house and um, by this point I'm a little less uh, cautious or a little less worried because we've gone the whole day and there was nothing um, that had happened that was out of the norm um, but I would later find out as I'm hiding under the bed and um, it, it was my cousin's turn to be the, the person to come find everybody um, he eventually I could hear his footsteps coming up the stairs and he comes down the hall and it almost felt like uh, I had like a, a tracker on me because he uh, comes down the hall and he comes into the room where I was hiding and he drops down on the floor and he's like I got you and so I come out from under the bed and I try to exit the room at which point I see his whole demeanor ch change and he goes like into this it's almost like looking at a monster in this situation yeah. i know and, i know what you're talking about yeah it's like and i freeze because i'm like oh my god what is about to happen like this is what i expected when i first walked in the house yeah and we went the whole day and, and i didn't see it and so he um he hits me uh he not he actually and and when i think about it now it, it basically the same thing the way that his mom hit him and knocked the air out of him he did the same thing to me and then you know he wrestles me to the ground and and basically he um sodomizes me there and as i'm fighting and and hoping that someone's going to come in the room there's no one there to help and um after i'm able it going through that experience it was almost like he was enjoying the fact that I was fighting yeah. um, until the point that I, I kind of gave up and I learned for the first time how to um, basically almost kind of like leave my body and leave that moment it was almost as if I was yeah dissociation and almost like I'm looking down on what's happening to me yeah. and, and then when it's all done um, I get up, I I want to run down to my mother, but I can't because I have this, this sensation that I have to use the bathroom. And so I, I get into the bathroom and I'm bleeding and I think that I locked the door and somehow he's able to get into the door and he tells me, if you say anything this time, I'm going to kill you. And there was something about the way that he said it um, that I believe that he would have done it. Um, and so I, um, that, that was the point where I really lost my childhood. I learned how to, to lie and to fake like everything was okay. Um, and so I clean up and I end up downstairs and I, and I fall asleep. And the next morning I wake up and it's almost like, wow, did, did that really happen? And I'm in pain. So... I'm sore. I, I, I obviously it did happen, but I'm looking at everyone, and it's like everybody's going on about their lives, like nothing wrong has happened, and he's going on like nothing has ever happened. And so, from that moment, I, I get, made, I get all of this. Like I resonate with all yeah. of this. And so, in that moment, I made the decision that you 
know, if I'm, if I'm going to protect myself, because obviously my mother couldn't because of the drugs and everything else that was going on, that I wouldn't say anything. And so I became a chameleon, basically. And over time, after the first time, it just kept happening again and again. And so as I began to get older and stronger, I started to fight back. And then it got to the point where it was, if you don't do this, then your brother will. And so I made the sacrifice to make sure that it didn't happen to him. And there would be times where um, he would be laying feet away from me and this would be occurring. And this is fast tracking later, much later in life, but um, we had a disagreement that would ultimately lead me to where I am today um, in which he chose a gang over me and 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 I got beat up and stuff but I would later find out because I'm, I'm the type of person where I always try to go back and figure out why things happened the way they did well his frustration with me and the reason that he chose the gang lifestyle was because when he was laying feet away from me he was awake and he knew what was happening and he thought that I was weak because I wasn't fighting back not knowing that I wasn't fighting back because I didn't you were want protecting to. him. Yeah. Oh my God. So, but my childhood experiencing that oh. on top of everything else. Um, and then it just became, I almost felt like I had like some type of beacon painted on me because as we moved, um, ultimately there were three, um, three men who played on this similar theme um and it, it was just it, it was it was crazy to me how i ended up you know in these situations and even when i would try to avoid them because i i started to pick up on certain things to look for as a child my mother would be oblivious and she would not um she wouldn't pick up on it and I would she would say you know I need my alone time I need my party time you need to you know you need to stop being up under me um and so it was just a very chaotic point as a child to go through all of these things um to see my mother beat on by the different men that she had coming into the house and then in turn sometimes she would beat on me because of her frustration so it I smiled a lot as a kid, but behind my smile was a lot of pain and a lot of, mm. you know, just frustration with life. And um, really, you know, it, it ultimately led to me attempting suicide. Um, How old were you? I was uh, 11. Mm. 11 when I did. And so it. I, I tell people, um, you know, that week of my life was one of the best weeks up leading up to the attempt because I didn't care about the bullying. I didn't care what anybody had to say um, because I knew that at the end of the week, I wouldn't have to worry about it. I wouldn't have to carry that weight around anymore. And so, you know, I, I listened to adults. I was very street savvy. And one of the things that they would say is, I heard in a conversation, if you're going to commit suicide and you're going to cut your wrist, you need to go up the tracks, not across yeah. them because they can't save you. And so I come up with this elaborate plan of going in and getting a knife to, you know, take to cut my to cut my wrist. And um, 
ultimately my, at this time, my baby brother um, was the one that saved my life. And it, it's interesting how all of that un, um, unraveled and, and played out um, because, you know, I was in the room by myself. He comes into the room, it's in the morning time. Um, and he crawls across the bed and he lays his head in my lap. Um, and I had a moment where I broke down and I realized that I was being very selfish because if I did it, then there was going to be no one there to protect them. And so that's really my transformation and how I was able to work through and work past all of the trauma that I had dealt with up to that point. And I realized that I could handle things if I put the focus where it should be, which was on protecting my younger brothers. And so it had been, I lost sight of that and I started thinking about all of my issues and it was like the woe is me type thing. And then in that moment I was like, oh man. And so it was like I had a new lease on life, like focus on them, make sure they're okay and I'm gonna be okay. And then, um, you know, we just, we it, it helped me when I came into contact with the, the, the third pedophile and um, how I dealt with him and how I was able to outmaneuver and to stay away from him and then ultimately to fight back. Um, and so, yeah. Wow. I mean, just it, what's crazy is just this, well, two things I want to know. One, I cannot put into words how just powerful, important, and uh, how appreciative I am for you to be able to be so freaking vulnerable and talk about this stuff because uh, what this this move this magical movement that we're making is all about trying to help people heal, but people won't heal unless it takes somebody to be able to step up and say, hey, I'm not gonna fear this judgment from everyone. I'm gonna say what I went through and put it out there because by you saying this, and you know, you've done it for millions of people at this point, but even on here, for our audience that doesn't know you that's watching, you say this, you are creating so much safe space for people to open up about what they went through. You are like indirecting, and indirectly helping so many people heal. And giving them hope yes. that they can get through it. It's not gonna be forever and they can come out on top. I mean, you know, for me, I, Man, I struggled, but then I went to college. I did the sorority thing. Like I always like was in the in crowd and like, but I still like behind all that was so much pain and suppression, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it was hard, but you know, I, I definitely lived in the victim mindset. But for me, when I became spiritual, very spiritual and like study the law of attraction and started playing with meditation affirmations, that is literally when everything changed yeah. because I struggled I yeah. like it's like I didn't realize that I was like stuck in this lower vibrational state frequency right and yep. so I kept attracting all these shitty things over and over and over and I was always like yeah like the woe is me like oh my god like why it's why me again like why this again like yeah. you know what I mean yeah. and man everything changed though once I started like learning the universal laws and I'm forever forever grateful for that and plant medicine yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah. definitely and you know for me I think so it's interesting because we say everything happens for a reason so here I am this broken oh that's so tough to hear when you're in that place though I'm sure, I mean oh yeah I'm this broken. You're like, why? Why the hell? <laughs> right. Yeah, teenager. You know, the interesting thing is, I never, I never really asked why. I've never yeah. been 
the person to ask why I just kind of accepted it for what it was but um, you know I, I take it to you know I, I never really liked Christmas or any of the holidays because we didn't really have anything um, growing up and so the one time that I disrespected my biological mother was um, it was one Christmas we didn't have any lights it was cold there were no presents and she had beer and it really enraged me as a young man and um, I disrespected her by calling her a bitch and for my mother to hear me say that and then I thought she was going to kill me because my mother when we talk about discipline um, I still have scars from some of the discipline that I had you know stabbing me with a fork uh, splitting my head open in the bathtub by yanking my feet from under me just all types of things but I think she could see in me the the hurt that I had finally disrespected her and I'm uh, probably about uh, 13 now um, so I think she could see in my face that the, I felt like just the scum of the earth for, for getting to that point and so I went and laid out in the uh, in the in the woods for quite some time in the cold in the snow and I just cried and I just like kind of let out all of the frustration but you know I and I went back and I apologized and she accepted my apology and I think she felt bad too um, in that moment but we moved past that so my whole life has been focusing on my brothers and not myself and my brother started going down this this um, pathway of being in gangs and stuff. And again, I don't know the backstory at this point. All I know is I don't want him to do that mm. with the drugs and stuff. And so I was attending this Bible uh, camp uh, and I get, I finish the camp, get back to the trailer park where we're staying and I look across and I see my brother um, and I see these guys picking on my brother. So it's a fight. We did that all the time. So excuse me I went to um to to his aid not realizing it was his gang initiation and so in the middle of this he's given a decision and I talk about this in my book what seemed like to be it probably was fast for everybody else I broke it down to I mean every millisecond I could see the facial expressions and he was told either you choose us and we all beat both of you up or you choose to jo uh, um, to join us and, and, and beat them up with us. And so he threw the first punch and they beat me. And as I lay there, I, I didn't even really fight back because I just, it was like the hardest thing to that I had experienced up to that point. The molestation didn't um, even hit me as hard as that because I felt like I had gone through so much to protect him. I was going to say, this is someone you've protected your whole life, like yeah. constantly. That was like uh, one of the themes I'm hearing, even through all the darkness and the destruction is, but I'm protecting him, but I'm doing this and just constantly. So I couldn't imagine how deep Yeah, that it was your reason that. for like living. It was my whole reason for life. And God. so go back to the theme of everything happens for a reason. I, I tell people sometimes you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but you got to keep moving. Um, because it's just around the, the corner or the curb or over the hill, however you want to say it. Because had that event not happened, 
I would have never left them and I would have stayed in that environment and I probably wouldn't have finished high school because I was so far behind. I was struggling. I was being a class clown. I was doing all, everything besides learning. Um, music was my way of communication. So that's, you know, the singing, the playing an instrument, all of that was how I communicated. Um, and I love that, but everything else didn't really matter. And so after being beat up, um, you know, police respond, fire and rescue respond, and they're like, we need to take him to the hospital. Um, he's got, he has concussions. We've got to make sure he's okay. And my mom was fighting them saying, no, I'm going to take him myself. Um, and I knew hearing her that she was worried about having a bill, a medical bill or something like that. And I knew I wasn't going to the hospital. And so true enough, she left me at a friend's house that lived in a trailer park just across uh-huh. the field. And they took care of me all night. And um, the next morning, uh, word had spread about what had happened and it got back to the the Bible camp or the revival. Um, And so my uh, leader came to the house and he said, do you you think you could get up and and walk and and talk with me? And um, I said, you know, I said, yes. And so I get up and I'm, you know, hopping hobbling down the stairs, hopping down the road, talking to him. And he said, if you could leave all of this behind, would you? And I was like, yes. Now that gave me chills. Didn't even think twice. And I'm now 13. He's in his early 20s. He told me he had a wife and a son at home. And um, so I was looking back I'm thankful that that fight had happened in some ways in some ways I I still hold a little bit of guilt but I I took the opportunity my mom knowing them less than five minutes I put a copy of this in my book and I take it on my motivational uh, speeches as well to show people less than five minutes of knowing these people she signed me away to them and they took me and I left from Maryland the eastern shore Maryland and I went to uh, North Carolina to start a whole new life and people say well were you afraid and I was like well so much had happened to me everything you can think of possibly has happened to me so what could be worse right um and so I, I left um and whoa it, it was a crazy adventure because growing up I was taught to hate I wouldn't say hate that's a strong word but dislike police or law enforcement um, they're not there to help you handle your own issues. You still feel um, that way, right? Uh, no. <laughs> Had a little bit of a change of heart, but it's helped me relate to people in the right. community. It does. Oh, I'm yeah. sure, yeah. Um, I was taught that white people, most white people are racist, and you got to be careful, but I'm going from this predominantly black environment, low income, to now a middle class, predominantly white environment. So everything changes for me. Um, the discipline changes. I go from being beat nearly half the death to, you know, my punishment being my full name called or getting pulled by the ear. Um, NASCAR, country music, <laughs> all of these things are changing. Um, but I was such a broken teenager a person, um, but they had no idea because I was so thankful the little things were important to me, you know, having running water and electricity. Um, and so I move into this new environment. They didn't know everything. I didn't tell them about the sexual abuse initially because um, I was afraid that they would think that I would in turn violate their son, who was the same age as my youngest brother. So I kept a lot of that um, inside. 
but they told me my focus was um, to learn how to be a kid again. And they were like, we don't want you worrying about bills and all of that type of stuff. You're our son, we're gonna take care of you. And um, so it was just such an interesting, it was interesting how life uh, worked out um, in that way. And so I'm on this adventure and it's like something that's kind of funny, maybe not funny, but the first day that they took me, um, we were staying in a hotel and the hotel had a pool and there's all these kids and the kids are running and jumping in the pool. And I hadn't been to a pool before. I didn't know how to swim, but I wanted to have fun like the rest of the kids. And so the first day they have me um, as we're heading back to where to, um, to Suffolk, Virginia, actually, I go and jump in the pool with everybody else. And I just sink down to the bottom because I don't know how to swim. Oh, shoot. <laughs> and I'm sitting on the bottom, like looking up, like somebody please help me. Oh, no. Totally calm. And so they had to jump in and, and rescue me on the first day that they had me. And so and that was how our whole thing started off. Um, oh my gosh. Like, are you crazy? Like, you're, what are you doing? Like, you don't do that. But, you know, I learned how to swim after that, so. Yeah. Um, That's gotta be part of your story, right? The life of extremes. It's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and like, you're so calm. You're just sitting there, like looking up and they didn't recognize that something wasn't right, so. Um, but you know, and that with it brought a lot of challenges as well. So I, I recognize that this is an opportunity, but I also miss my my brothers. It goes back to them. I miss my family, and I want them to have the same opportunity. Um, my mother was willing to allow my middle brother to come, but he didn't want to give up the gang lifestyle, mm-hmm. and she was not a, uh, willing to give up my baby brother. And mm-hmm. so what I find is that, or what I found out was that my mother had lied to a lot of people. My biological aunt wanted um, my mother to uh, let her keep us, me and my brothers, but she would never do that. Uh, My mother kind of considered herself to be the black sheep of the family. And so she um, held some resentment for whatever reason um, against my uh, aunt and my uncles. And so that was something that I struggled with because I thought they had forgotten all about me because I didn't hear anything for several years. And I learned a valuable lesson of if, if you um, don't open your mouth, people don't know what you don't know. And so a lot of times I was sitting in class and it took me weeks to catch concepts that people caught in one period. Um, but I was able to, to learn and catch up on my education. Um, I, I mean, I was in a, a freshman in high school not knowing what a verb or a noun was. And um, so it was really, really difficult for me um, I also had to deal with the racial stuff. It was interesting because I, as a black man growing up, I was always taught that white people were racist, but I wasn't prepared to deal with the racism in the black community. So there were people that were upset that there were white people that were raising a black man. And so I got it from both sides. Um, so that opened my eyes to different perceptions, perspectives, and and, and the whole picture of racism and and how it works Um, the battle flag of northern virginia the robert e lee flag commonly called the confederate flag Mm -hmm. um i also you know that i was challenged on that because i had people in the family who loved me who accepted me as a part of their own but they also displayed that flag and Mm -hmm. so i was taught that everybody that displayed the flag was racist Mm -hmm. but 
now. So these are things that I'm that are being challenged, which help mold me to so much I confusion. That's yeah. so much confusion while you're going through that. Like what? What do I? I don't know what to believe. Yeah. So it really helped um, help me, and so ultimately going through all of that. Um, you know, my mother, I had to beg her eventually to stay and to get put in school. She allowed that to happen. And I think it was hard for her. And I was aware, um, as we talked about it, that it was painful for her to let me go. But I think she knew it was the best place for me. And I worked through all of that. And I graduate. Um, and my biggest thing was, I always thought that I was going to go into um, the military. Um, that was kind of my goal, because I didn't think I was smart enough for college. And at the time, the Iraq war is going on. And so my, um, my, I, I, I use these terms because I think it helps people follow along. So I have my biological family, I have my foster family, and I have my adopted family. But my foster dad said to me, um, you know, if you're going to go into the military, you want to be an officer because you're going to make more money. And, um, and so I was like, okay how do I do that? He's like, you got to go to college. I was like, well, sign me up. <laughs> I don't care. I want to make more money because I want to go take care of my, my family. And, and I got, I got to say, that's what I was going to ask about, man. You're talking about, there's just so many incredible stories here. You talk about someone who coming into freshman year, didn't know what a noun or a verb was. And now to flip the script, not to jump ahead, but you got into VMI. Like that's one of the best, uh, that is one of the best like military public schools in the country. Just one of the best public schools in the whole country. That's one of the best. They only yeah. take like two or three hundred out of the whole you know country each year. I know because I went to. But, um, <laughs> it's, yeah. that's, that's amazing. Like so, yeah. yeah tell, tell us about that. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just oh, no, no. It out from yeah. not knowing a verb freshman year. Like no one can ever tell you they can't do something. Like you're that's like right. oh, really, oh really? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, t- yeah. I tell people that, that all the time. <laughs> and so. So my coach says, or I'm sorry, my, my brother, their biological son, uh, coach went to VMI. And he said, you should go, you should try VMI. Um, he said, you'll, you'll come out with an awesome degree um, or education, excuse me, and you'll go into the uh, military in a better standing. So I was like, all right, sign me up. Um, somebody else had suggested that I go to the um, uh, to, to West Point. So I applied to West Point. I got waitlisted and I think I had to do like a, because of my grades, they weren't that good. Um, so I had to do like a semester or something at a community college and then they would reevaluate. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then VMI came through and I was like, he's, I was like, okay, well, let's go with it. So um, I, when I went to VMI, for the um what is it called i can't think of the name of it now where you go and spend a weekend there oh yeah yeah. you stay the night or something and you get to yeah barracks yeah yeah it, you get it's kind of like you you getting to see how bmi works before you yeah. go i went when the rats were broken out so there's a very different experience <laughs> right everybody's normal they're walking normal they're talking normal so i had no idea um, what VMI was going to be until I get there and we do the in processing and then they have the shark attack, right? Oh my gosh! Yeah, remember that? Oh yeah. And so, Wait, what is that? So they just basically 
uh, VMI, they're very hard on the first, uh, your first year there, you're called rats. And it's like a six month boot camp period you got to go through where you're uh, legally hazed, I guess you'd call it, and screamed <laughs> at, yelled at. And they yeah. the idea is to break you down to build you back oh, up. Oh, God. Like, yeah. you need to be broken down yeah, anymore. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I realized pretty quickly that it was a mind game. So I just had fun with it. And yeah. I'm like, you can't scream any more at me than I've been screamed at in my past. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I finally felt like, because even up to that point, um, before I, I continue with me and my, I have to say, my foster family, um, attempted to get me into counseling because they didn't know how bad things were, but they knew that they were bad. And I didn't trust the counselor because I felt like whatever I was telling the counselor, she was telling them. So I stopped talking and they were paying for me to go. And so one time um, I was told um, by my by my foster dad, he said, listen, we're paying money for you to go. If, you're, if we're going to continue to do this, we need you to, to talk. Um, if you don't then we're, ju we're just not going to do this anymore and I wanted to make him happy so um, I said I'm going to test this out to see if she's telling them what I'm saying so we always had this banter back and forth about how often I could go back to the eastern shore to see my biological family um, because I wanted that that interaction and it wasn't always feasible to do so and so I brought it up to the counselor at the end of the session the counselor would have me go out and sit out in the hallway she would talk to them by they would go in the room and talk by themselves. So I brought that up as a test. We leave, we're, we're driving on the way home and my dad brings up, hey, um, what's going on with this, uh, with this whole thing about going and seeing your family and you know that we can't do this all the time, blah, blah, blah. So that let me know that she was talking to them. And so I shut down and I was like, we can just cut it out because I'm not gonna talk to her anymore. Yeah. And so from that point on, there were a lot of things like waking up with nightmares, sweats, um, you know, dealing with all the stuff from my childhood. So I carried that into VMI. Mm. So I'm at VMI and, you know, I, I, I wasn't prepared academically to be there. Mm. VMI is tough, yeah. as you know. Um, and I... And I was just struggling academically. I loved all of the military side of things and the, the, the field training and all that kind of stuff, but I hated the academics. And so um, while there, um, before I get to the, the academic side of things, I, I, I'm dealing with sexuality. So I get the VMI, we're in the rat line, things are crazy chaotic. And one of the things they, they taught us was, you know, a cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, nor tolerate those who do. Yeah. And at some point in all of this, I start to realize that I have an attraction to men. And this is not necessarily the best place to be to have that. Um, to you realize that at VMI? I realized wow, it at VMI. I didn't even know that. Okay. There were some things before that that had happened, like at band camp, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but I had always repressed it um, yeah. because growing up in a religious um, background, I, I didn't want to go to hell. Um, it was wrong. So I, I had to figure out how to move past it. And um, so I, I just suppressed it and I moved on. And once I got to VMI, it was a little bit harder to do that for some reason, many reasons. Um, and so I did that thing where I told uh, one person, one of our brother rats, um, 
I told her and I said, uh, you know, I think that I'm bisexual. And um, she was like, okay, who cares, you know? And then I was like, well, I think that I'm gay. She was like, uh, who cares? And I said the magic words, don't tell anybody. Oh, there you go. And by the, by the next day, um, I'm really big on reading body language. That was part of my survival as a, as a kid. Um, so I read sometimes micro, micro expressions. And, and, and I noticed sitting in the chow hall, at Crozet Hall, um, that my brother Rat's body, languages, body language had changed. And so I, I picked up on it immediately and then I thought, okay, I second guessed myself and I was like, maybe I'm being, you know, just crazy because I'm like, when I got back to my room after telling her, telling her, I was like, oh my God, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. What was I thinking? Yeah. And so that next morning as one of my brother rats um, came up to me, she was like, is it true? And I was like, oh my God, it's out. I already know it's out. So. I got yelled at for talking in the child hall as a rat. We get marched back up. And then I spent the next, you know, day. It took less than 24 hours before I felt like the entire court knew. My dyke was pulling me in. My mentor, my senior mentor, I don't know if people know what that is. Yeah, so just so people understand, because <laughs> yes. uh, I think there's like less than 1% know what that means. Uh, a dyke is what you would call a senior mentor. Everybody gets, as a rat, you get what's called a dyke, which is a first classman that looks over you, mentors you. It's a very positive mentorish term, yeah. just so yes. we're clear. Okay, yes. go ahead. <laughs> and so, um, and so we're going through this whole thing. And so now I'm dealing with being a rat. I'm dealing with all of the baggage that I brought into VMI and I'm also struggling academically um, and I'm just trying to handle all of this at, at once and so um, people are asking me questions about being gay and I don't even know what being gay really means and I don't even know what it is but I'm trying to answer with confidence and it, it was just this whole fiasco and so um, I reach out to my foster family and I wrote them a letter. I did not call them because I didn't have the courage to, the guts to. Um, I was afraid at their response because I knew what they believed. And so I, I sent a letter to them um, and I didn't hear anything back. So I made the call. And unfortunately, it wasn't the best conversation. Um, I was told that, you know, I was wrong. Um, that I was, you know, it was an abomination, um, and I was disowned as a result oh, of it. No way. So it's like life just, it, it, but it's interesting because again, everything that happened, I, I, as I sat there and I cried, I figured, I said, okay, I was sitting in the sinks. They don't have those, that's all gone now, but I was sitting there by the payphone and I was like, I have one of two options. I can let this destroy me or I have to get up and I have to figure this out. And so I was like, it's just me now. So I've got to figure out the financial part of it. I've got to figure out how I'm going to get these grades up because I know if I get academically suspended, I'm never coming back and I don't know where I'm going to go. And so it was just this, this, this uphill battle all along the way. And back to the academic side of things. Um, so my academic advisor called me in um, and he said to me, uh, this is not the place for you. I think you need to figure out somewhere else to go. Jeez. Um, oh my God. Because things aren't working out for you. 
And I, I sat there and I listened to the conversation and uh, it was Colonel Begary. And I was so mad. I was like, who does he think he is right. to tell me that, right? And I left his office and I remember, you know, fuming all the way back to the barracks. And I was like, I'm going to show him. I'm going to show him that I can do this and I'm going to be here and I'm going to make it. And so having that conversation with him was the kind of the, the, that victim mindset type thing. And I learned in the conversation with him that people didn't care where you came from, what you were going through. They just wanted to know if you could perform and if you could meet the standards. And so I later learned that he knew that I needed a push and that he said those things to light the fire that I needed to succeed. And so as a thank you and to say that I recognize what he did, um, I had his wife, Miss Malou, um, Pagari, um, as my ring figure day. Um, so, um, but going through VMI, I didn't realize at the time, but I was going to be the first open gate deputy. I'm um, sorry, first open <laughs> gate at, at uh, VMI. Did not know that. Not necessarily the first gate uh, cadet at VMI, but the first one that was open about it and, um, you know, facing several challenges as a result of it. Um, you know, it was interesting because what I found was in that environment, there was one of two ways you could go. Um, I could have made headlines and, and, you know, tried to fight this big public battle about some of the hazing and some of the things that were done, or I could try to um, really focus on changing one person at a time or change the people that I interacted with. And that's basically what I did. And some of the people that didn't like me, I was still there for them. Like we would go out and do PT and stuff. Some of the people that, you know, couldn't make it, I would still go back and run with them or or help them out. Um, even if they didn't like me, or even if they were saying, you know, whether they called me a faggot or, or, or whatever, um, you know, we had to do the wrestling, we had to do the boxing. Um, so some of the guys would get picked on if, if um, I, you know, if I came out as the winner in those types of things. And so it was, it was challenging in that. Um, but I also started to learn, there were several cadets who um, were suicidal. Um, and I would have, I would be able to recognize some of those things and have conversations with them. Um, and so trust became really important to me. Um, and then just being open about who I was or who I am as a person. Um, and it, I just, I found in that moment that all the things that I had been through, I could use to help other people. And so you know, people come to me, well, I think I might be a lesbian or I think I might be gay. What can I do? How do you, how do you deal with these things? And so as I was learning and growing, I was also helping other people behind the scenes. And it just eventually all worked out. Well, and you're helping yourself when you do that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Being able to, people ask me all the time, even now when I travel, they're like, do you go to counseling? I'm like, I don't need to because I do motivational speaking. Yeah. When I'm in an environment, you know, I've done conferences, everything from um, elementary school kids up to to big conferences in Hampton Roads and around um, across the nation, actually. And I go to these places and I get to talk about my story and my experiences and I talk about leadership and, and moving through trauma and things like that. But 
I meet people all around the world that have gone through the same things. And it's interesting because you only need one person to start the ripple effect. And then you, you realize everybody's sharing their stories and mm. there's no need to be embarrassed. And yes, yes. to feel alone, that is something that I, I still struggle with to this day. I can be in a room with, uh, I don't know, a lot of people and I can feel alone. Uh, or feel not loved or not worth it um, and so I know that feeling all too well and I can recognize it in other people and so we, t- we talk about that type of thing so VMI gave me that real strong foundation and then my first time doing the motivational speaking was while at VMI I went to church now you know when you're there you especially going through the rat line you want to get away as much as possible so i was like take me to church yeah i'll go to anybody's <laughs> church you right. get food you get a host family and yep. um so the first the pastor t- asked me at one point to share my story and i was very nervous because i said if if i'm gonna do this i've always believed believe this in anything that i do you have to be honest and you gotta i'm not gonna sugarcoat it i'm gonna tell you how it is and so in this little um, Baptist church in, you know, Lexington or where was it? I want to say Batista or something. <laughs> anyway, in Southwest Virginia, um, I stand up to share my story and I talk about everything from the beginning to at this point coming to terms with my sexuality. And as I stop, um, I look around and I see how it has affected or impacted people in a positive way. And I was like, I, I didn't realize that I had something here. So I started, that was my start to motivational speaking. And it just over the years has continued to, um, to build off of that. And so um, one of the things that happened at BMI that I think that I struggle with to this day, back to the sexuality piece, is that I wanted to be in the military. And I look at my, you know, my brother as now who are majors and and I'm like, that's where I I, I really wanted to serve. And 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 um, that was taken away from me because of my sexuality at the time, the don't ask, don't tell policy. Mm, that's right. And so I got hurt. I didn't have insurance, so the only doctor I could see was on post and um, they did what they could to get me back but while I was out um, it was brought up by the cadre about my sexuality so they started asking cadets have you seen them do anything that was any homosexual acts have you heard them say anything about being a homosexual and they knew but they thought that it was inappropriate to be asked that by cadre And so ultimately I come back to take a PT test and I fail the PT test. And so I'm told you are not going to um, leadership advancement course because you failed the PT test. And at first I'm upset with myself because I'm like, who can I blame but myself because I didn't pass it. Then I find out that this stuff was going on behind the scenes. And so I still have the letters um, that some of the cadets um, wrote on my behalf they put a hearing on and I'm sitting in the hearing and uh, Colonel Brody was my representative from the from the Institute and um, as I'm sitting there he said you do not have to bring any of that up based off of your record and everything you've done in your past you're going to be going don't worry about it but I'm sitting there and 
I lost control of my emotions and I decided to bring it up. And so when I brought it up, I was told you better have proof to what you're talking about. And I started reading the letters. And as I finished the letters, they shut the hearing down and I was sent wow. to advancement camp and I was able to graduate top of my class there. Nice. Um, but I won the battle. I didn't win the war because when I got out of BMI and I took my commission, the uh, unit that I was sent to, the then captain that started the hearing was now the major in that oh, unit. No. And so I ultimately ended up having to get out. And so that was something that I struggled with. Hmm. But wow. yeah. Uh, let, led you to where you are now. So again, yeah. full circle, that's for sure. Yeah. Man, that has been epic, man. What a story up to VMI. And wow, so much of that. I mean, I can, I can see why you wrote a book. That's, yeah. there's, like, there's like five books in what you just told us already. Um, but it goes back to like how you say like everything happens for a reason. Like when you're going through that, like when I went through all the horrific trauma, like I never understood like what, what is the reasoning for this? And now that I get like my purpose, I'm yes. like, okay, like it yeah. all makes sense. Like even my struggles and my pain, there was a reason for it, you know? And it's ultimately, you know, in the end, a beautiful thing. Yeah, definitely. You two also both have so, there's so many similarities along this thing. It's, it blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, well, man, tell it. So after that. Well, I, I got to ask you real quick. It doesn't sound like you dealt with this, but you dealt with enough. But for me, I, for my suppressed trauma, I developed all these mystery illnesses. I mean, like debilitating sick, was diagnosed with all sorts of horrible things that like lupus, Sjogren's, rheumatoid arthritis. Then no, you don't have that. You do have that. No, you don't have that. Like no doctor ever knowing what was wrong with me. And for like, not over 20, like 23 years of it was horrible. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and I'm just curious, did you have anything manifest as physical sickness in your body? Or did you have insomnia or intimacy issues? Like, did you suffer intimacy issues? None of those things? No, so I, I think as a result of that, there were some things that came out of it. So I learned that I was dyslexic, but I think, I don't know if that was from the trauma specific, yeah. but, um, you know, one of the things learning when I take tests, I will fail a test if I take it from the front to the back, but if I read it from the back to the front, I will pass the same test. Um, that's why Arabic came to me so well. Um, depression is a huge one, um, something that I still deal with. Um, and it's interesting because it doesn't necessarily hit when it should. It's usually when things are going great and you know I'm getting deals and shows and stuff. And that's when I'm like, why now? So that's something that I that I have. Um, as far as intimacy goes, it never really affected me because I was in control. Um, I, I one of the, the conversations that I did have was some people would say, well, you're only gay because you were molested by men as a child. And so there was a period of time where I was like, is that true? And I started talking to, um, you know, other friends who grew up in what you would call the traditional family home, perfect home, had no molestation. And it was who they were as, uh, as a child, as far back as they can remember. Um, and so there was a lot of uh, mistruths that were, were put out there as facts that I had to kind of, you know, assess my life where I was where I am currently and then figure out if it was true or if, or if it wasn't. And I had to go back and have those conversations, but I, I it didn't manifest in that way. Um, that's, that's amazing. That's a godsend. Yeah, yeah definitely. 
Well, um, so after that, I mean, I've got to know, tell us the story behind this viral ah! Beyonce dance. Because I knew of you, I know we spoke just briefly at VMI, but I just know yeah. you did this dance and it went crazy viral. Yeah. And you used all that fame for so much good as you are still doing now, like literally having such a beautiful impact on the world. But I, I want to tell, tell me the story of the Beyonce dance that everyone. Okay. Just, yeah, definitely. So I, well, as with me, there's always this long story with all these different, uh, <laughs> you know, pathways, but law enforcement was never a focus for me. Um, so I went into retail after VMI and I was going to be an exec. And so I'm like, huh, I'm an exec. I'm going to get a big office and I'm going to have, you know, the, the white collared shirts and stuff. <laughs> and that just meant they, they worked the crap out of you and yeah. then salary. So, you know, oh but so my wallet gets stolen out of my car An officer responds, who's a, a, a lesbian. We have a conversation and she says, you need to go into law enforcement. You'd be perfect for law enforcement. I'm like, huh. no, law enforcement doesn't like me. Um, and she's like, no, seriously. So I apply, I go through it. Um, interestingly enough, um, I, I get into it and I'm this loud mouth, obnoxious, high energy person. <laughs> doesn't fit law enforcement characteristics. <laughs> no, I do have the type A personality, yeah. um, but so, in going into into law enforcement, I didn't realize that I was going to be the first open gay deputy. So I'm on this whole track, and, and people are like, "Oh, that's so amazing!" I'm like, "No, no, no, it's really not." <laughs> the first at anything, it, it, you, there's a lot of, of trials and tribulations, and a lot of stuff that you have to work out. But VMI prepared me for that. Um, so you know, the whole locker room banter. Well, I don't want you in the locker room. Well, I don't want to be in the locker room. Well, I don't find you attractive. Well, why don't you find me attractive? Are we really having this conversation? Um, <laughs> So, but the singing, music has always been my, my, um, my, my place where I can just relax and, and zen out basically. And so, um, performing and engaging people, it's what I love to do. And so there was this, uh, Planned Parent, nope, not Planned Parenthood, wrong thing. That's something else. Red Parent. Fred Parent does a lot of work in the community for um, kids that are in need. And so they decided to have this event at the mall, a lip sync battle, and they wanted to invite the chiefs and the sheriffs to come and you bring school supplies to fill these backpacks. And so everybody wanted to come see the chiefs and the sheriffs lip sync. Well, the problem was the chiefs and the sheriffs were like, we're not doing this. We'll send somebody from the department. Right. And so they're thinking, they're like, well, who better to send than Diggs? Because, <laughs> right? So the first year I go and I do Single Ladies by Beyonce, because I've always been a big Beyonce fan. And it gets about 100,000 views and you go on with life, right? Yeah. I didn't even think that was a big deal. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, the next year, now we have all the controversy in law enforcement about, you know, the killing of minorities. Beyonce comes out, she does a video. Beyonce hates cops. I'm like, no, Beyonce doesn't hate cops. You know, and so we're having these conversations and it's a national thing. And um, so I decided to do Formation, which is Beyonce's, one of Beyonce's songs. And I picked the song because I knew it was having a positive impact on 
in with the community and the youth and they loved it and so um it wasn't about all the other stuff that was in the background though it, it came to the foreground when i did it um and so i go and i do the dance and it goes viral in your um, uniform right in my uniform yeah. <laughs> And I think it was the split that, that really that took it there. Crazy. It was that was crazy. That was what it was. Yeah. So I do it. 30 seconds literally changes my life. So 30 seconds. Um, wow. And it goes viral. And I would say viral in terms of it hits most of the states on the East Coast. Everybody's watching it. They're talking about it on the radio, that type of thing. Um, so in the midst of this, in, in the extreme highs and extreme lows, my biological mother, who I've reconnected with, is going through a battle with cancer. Ooh. And so the interesting thing with this is, as bad as it is that she's struggling with cancer, she's stage four, she has cancer in her throat, they're saying she's not going to make it. It's the first time in my life that I get to see my mother sober and not on any drugs or any alcohol. And there were things that I wanted to do. I wanted to uh, fix her teeth and there's, that's a whole nother story. But so this thing happens and nothing prepares you in life for it. You're just like, okay. And now people are coming up to me, you're the dancing deputy and, and can we get a picture? And you know, I'm walking up to a car on a traffic stop and they turn on Beyonce because I pulled them over for speeding. And I'm like, you're still gonna get this ticket. So, you know, I'm like, what is, what is going on? So we're working through all of this and um, you know, things kind of settled down, life goes back to normal, still working, still doing my thing. And I'm already doing the motivational speaking. I think it's interesting how this worked because I started my business about two years before this happened and I was having some issues with traction. So people were like, you know, we don't know, really know who you are, so we're not gonna pay you to speak, but you can come speak for free. And I'm like, I'm not speaking for free. I know what, I know my worth. So just having these battles, the initial viral video, and they're like, oh no, we'll pay you, come speak, come speak. Like, okay. So then my mother gets a, um, gets a, uh, a, 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 it's a miracle. She's, she's uh, in remission, right? They said that it wasn't gonna happen, she goes in remission. And that's much due wow. to my aunt taking care of her. Cause at one point I was willing to quit and walk away from everything just to make sure that she was okay and that she had the, the proper treatment. And so to be there to take care of her. And my aunt said, no, you have too much going on. You're successful where you are. I'll, I'll, I'll bear this burden. And so I'm very excited. Life is going on. And then I get the call um, that the cancer's back and it was back due to uh, drinking and potential drug use and so that oh really my god like demolished me because i'm like you had a new lease on life and you couldn't give it up and so i leave from here to drive to baltimore where she's at and i want to say everything that i could possibly say to her her because her people hurt people and I am yeah. just so, yeah, so mad, right? All the things that I've been through and I just wanted my mother to take care of me once in life. Um, and so I get to the hospital and I find her sleeping and all of the anger that I had dissipated. And I sit beside her bed and I watch her sleep. And at some point, I don't know why nurses do this, but they come in, the nurse comes in and wakes her up. Mm. And, um, when she wakes up 
She acknowledges the nurse, she acknowledges she doesn't need anything. She looks over at me and the look that she gave me, and I still carry it with me, it was almost as if she was hallucinating and looking through me as if I wasn't there. But the joy that I saw on her face um, was just so impactful and profound in that moment. And I, and I spoke out and I said, Mama, I'm really here. It's me, I'm here. And um, <clears throat> so we had a, a very good conversation in that moment. I said, Mama, I've forgiven you a long time ago for all of the things, <laughs> all of the things that um, happened to me as a child. I need you to forgive yourself. And to be able to clear the air in that moment in that way gave me some relief and from just, just dealing with a lot of the stuff from my childhood. And so I was at that point still being asked to do dances with the high schools and stuff like that. And I had, I, I was counseling everything. I was like, I'm not going to anything else. I'm not doing anything else. I'm just going to focus my attention and time here for as long as I get to be with her. Um, and she tells me, she says, listen, um, I'm going to be here. You need to keep your commitments and you need to go and have fun with the kids. So reluctantly, I leave and I travel back home. Um, my husband's a teacher at North Stafford High School, so there's some connection. Not only you know, I was the um, uh, supervisor for the uh, school resource officers in the county, so the, the staff knew me as well. I get there to dance with the dance team. I was not doing the Beyonce dance, the formation dance. Um, we do the dance. And I'm out there with them and I'm having a good time, but really on the inside, I'm hurting because I'm, I'm thinking about my mom and we finished the pep rally too early. And so one of the staff members comes up and says, do you think you can do the, the Beyonce dance? Now, mind you, it's been mm, six months, maybe more that since I've done it. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll do something. I'll, I'll, I'll let's, let's go. And so from that moment, um, the connection that I had with those those kids and the staff and just at that pep rally never felt anything like that before but that went super viral and it went international and it went wow. over 90 million people cool. and from there was the you know America's Got Talent and the T.D. Jake show and the Times and all of those things and so I remembered and sitting down with T.D. Jakes I, I said this I said you know I've always wanted the ability to impact people's lives in a positive way. People ask me, well, when, how do you know when you made it? And I said, when I have the ability to help people get through the things that I've been through and for them to recognize that they're not alone, that they, they're not the only ones that have experienced these things and that they too can make it. And so we had that conversation and I never really got a chance to take it in because there was so much. I was traveling back and forth to LA and I'm on this flight and I'm doing this and I'm talking to this person. Ellen's reaching out and you know just oh, all of these different things and I was like oh my god and so I never really got the chance to enjoy it because it was all happening so fast and there's no manual on how to deal with these things but I wanted to anything that we did uh, we got a couple of offers for tv shows and different things I always wanted it to be authentic and I wanted to be honest about whatever we did I didn't want it to be just some flashy thing for right. ratings right. or something like that um, and so it's been an interesting journey up to this point. And I've maintained the motivational speaking. I released my, my, my first book 
And then we started working on as a result of all of that. It's really interesting because we've had some different people reach out about opportunities. And some of those opportunities, though they brought a lot of money, they were not authentic behind the scenes. And so we, I was not willing to do that. And so there came a point where things really slowed down and stopped and the call stopped coming in. And um, I was like, did I, did I make the right decision or did I do it the right way? And I, I would think, well, at least I still have my dignity at this point. Right. Um, and so then I got the opportunity to do my documentary. Mm. And so the book That's was, amazing. yeah, the book was hard to write. Um, and it, you're experiencing not only did I live it, but now I'm experiencing it from a different, I'm reliving it all and I'm experiencing yeah. it in a different way. Um, but doing the documentary was 10 times harder than that because we went back to these places that are in the book. So wow. when you read the book, you can, you can see it. One of the things when I wrote the book, I was a little concerned in that I would say it was a red house. Well, was it really red or was it burgundy or what? But when we went back to film in these places, um, some of them I had never been to since, you know, the experiences, um, everything was exactly how it was in the book, how I remembered it. And I went back to the house where the molestation started and there was such um, a response from just the physical response that we had to stop filming because the yeah. film crew could feel it. Um, they were impacted by it as well. And I wasn't prepared and I, and I woke up and when we started the journey on the documentary and I said to myself, I give you permission to feel what you feel, to respond how you're gonna respond no matter what it looks like. And the producer kind of looked at me when I said that when we got in the car, because I was like, I just don't know. I don't know what's going to happen if I'm going to shut Why? down, yeah. what emotions I'm going to have. And so um, the documentary, we did a, so we, we, we filmed all of that. Um, and I, I went back through it because I, I felt that it was important to show people not only reading it is one thing, but to see it um, is another and, Man, um, this was probably the ultimate healing for you to go oh, back yes. there, relive it, feel it, to heal it. Like that's literally what ayahuasca did for me, you know? Yeah. 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 To be in that space. Yeah. Just to, to it process was, it too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And part of my healing, I, I will say this too, is is acknowledging. I, I, I said this, um, and I've said this a lot. I don't care what other people think. I don't need their um, how do I say this? I don't want to come off as rude, but I'm not looking for um, their acceptance, so to speak. You don't need approval. their validation. Yeah. I don't need their validation or yeah. their approval. Um, in this, I'm being selfish. This is really, you know, this is who I am. This is what it is. And take it or leave it. Um, and, and, you know, just being unapologetic for who I am and what, and what my experiences are and holding my head high because in a lot of it, I'm not, you know, it is what it is. It's life. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so now we, we did, um, we did a, a premiere um, where we showed the, all, the uh, documentary um, is sold out and I raised. That's awesome. Uh, we sold out two showings of it. Yeah. Nice. 
raised ten thousand dollars which we gave uh the money to big brothers and uh, sisters big brothers big sisters um because i want people to understand and even with the cooking with love show everything that i do um it's not about the money yes you know we're building a home and there's other things like i'm starting to think now okay my husband's like you've yeah, given enough money away <laughs> and he's like he's like we got we gotta cut we gotta collect a few coins just a little bit <laughs> but everything that i do I, I just feel this need this urge to give back um as much as i possibly can and so that's what that's what i've been doing that's awesome man what, man, an what a freaking beautiful story, story. you're that's so inspiring i love awesome. it i feel you i get you i resonate with you and man it's been a seriously a pleasure yes with you. <laughs> absolutely we got to do a part two sometime yeah. uh, and get, we, get uh, caught up we're gonna do like a trio speaking game yes. <laughs> yeah 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 i would love that oh man so well um, where, where can the audience find your book and where what are you working on right now where they can find you online what what because we get a we have a lot of people that uh, we you know your audience our audience that might not have heard about you so we want we want them to know where to find you where to find your book we're gonna put a link to get your book to all that stuff tell us where they can find you. yeah so they can get the book at www.deontaydiggs.com if you're okay. looking for an autographed copy I usually yeah. um, for people that order the books there um, I write a note in the book so it's personalized to each person um, as, as I do it or you can go to Amazon it's on Amazon it's beneath the scar a story of resilience um, and so you can type that in or type in Deontay Diggs and it'll come up there you can get the Kindle version or the paperback version there um, I'm also doing a cooking show cooking with love yes tell us about that ah. yeah so um, being in law enforcement, it's 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 quite the challenge at times. My um, adopted mother's house was pipe bombed back in 2000, and I want to say 12, um, as a result of some cases that I that I worked on a subject, and um, it changed my perspective again on life. Because when you get home, you think you are in your safe place, and you are safe from the outside world, and so. I refuse to be a pessimistic person or to be a negative person. It's just not who I am, regardless of what happens. And so I thought about what could I do that could bring the community together. And so music does as well as food. And so I decided I didn't know a lot about being in the kitchen, but I would jump in the kitchen and start making cakes and stuff. And I developed this cooking show called Cooking with Love. And I invite people from the community into my home and we sit down and we have dinner or dessert and we just network. And it turned out really good. Some people said, are you crazy? You're inviting strangers into your home. I don't <laughs> suggest that everybody do that. Um, but I do have the training and the skills to deal with anything that that may occur and I've developed this wonderful network and family um, I'm all about family and creating family and it's not just about blood um, so it's just been this thing that we've been able to do events and to get together at different houses and now I travel and I cook and I've learned things and I've had chefs give me tips and it's just been a, a great thing so we do that every first and third Sunday and that's a, a Facebook group and then I try to also post that to YouTube um, and yeah, I think that's a, um, the documentary. It's in the final edits. We, um, oh, that, I can't wait for that. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're hoping to go, uh, 
present this to either uh, Oprah and or Tyler Perry. Oh, that's so cool. If that's you don't write affirmation, start writing it now and write it into existence. <laughs> now, what if people want to find this video of you dancing? How? What do they need to type in to find that? I don't know. You know, I haven't looked. It, it comes up on Facebook. I think I, they just went last week. I was viral on TikTok because somebody posted it on TikTok again. So I don't even know. Honestly, I think if you just type in dancing deputy on the internet, it will come up. Or if you type my name in, it'll come up because it's been posted everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, dancing deputy, front and center. There, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's stuff everywhere on that. Um, and then for motivational speaking, you can also get that at, at my website as well. Awesome, man. Definitely. Man, thank you so, so much for your time. You are doing such great things in the world. Man, I know you tell it to people all the time. You know you're not alone, man. You're not yes, alone. You're making yeah, such you a beautiful impact. Thank you for all you do for us. Uh, thank you for being on here with us. And man, we're definitely, keep us in the loop about that documentary. Yes. We'll do, we'll we're, do. We're all over it and we would love to get a copy and tell our, tell our people yes. where to get copies and everything 100%. too, man. Yep. Absolutely. Um, well, the thing we always end on, um, if you could leave the world with one message, what would that be? If I could leave the world with one message, what would that be? I hope that in telling you my truth, that I've inspired you to live yours. Mm. Oh, that is freaking poetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's I feel awesome. you. You were Shakespeare in your last life. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, man. You are absolutely awesome. We'll, All right. we'll, we'll stay connected 100%. Yeah. I love you. It was great love meeting you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. Happy healing. Happy healing.